You heard him. Don't start the timer. Uh, I do want to say it's a pleasure to be back with you again, and as always, to be with uh, Pastor and Sister Bradford and their family. I'm, I'm very pleased to uh, have my cousin, Argel, is uh, here, and uh, he's my double cousin. His, his father was my father's brother, and his mother was my mother's sister. And so we have the same DNA. We share the same set of grandparents. And our, our grandparents and, our, and our, uh, both of our fathers and, and their families, when they came from Oklahoma in uh, the 1930s, they, they put a tent right down here about a block down where George's camp used to be. They lived in a tent with a dirt floor. And that's where the kings started in Bakersfield and from there it, it got really interesting there were five uh, King brothers and the two youngest my dad and his younger brother got into a fight one time in a bar and the sheriff that they sent out to break up the fight was another one of the brothers it was it was uh, and I've I just heard I just heard about uh, when dad first got into the church, he, he first prayed through, he was on the bus with somebody and, and they were picking up kids and some man brought his child to the bus and my dad turned away. And he explained later, I just got in a fight with that guy last week. <laughs> and I didn't want him to see me because he doesn't know I've got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> So anyway, it, it was a, there's a lot of history here. I'm, I'm happy to see Argel. Um, I was asked to serve as the director of Hope Corps recently, and uh, there are several people from this church. This church has been very involved, as I mentioned this morning. Your pastor has been a director of ITWs, and you have helped to make possible the intensive training weeks in um, the Philippines, and those of you that have gone through Hope Corps know the benefit of it. I'd like to encourage, when it started out, it was targeted for young people, those who were just getting out of high school. This had a special meaning for me because when I was 18 and graduated from South High School, I did not have a plan for my life. And um, had there been a Hope Corps, without doubt, because I, I had a heart for God. I wanted to please God. I wanted to serve God. But I, there was no Hope Corps. There was, there was Bible school, and Brother Terry discouraged that. He didn't want to send away the, uh, the youth of the church to a Bible school somewhere where it's been proven. There's not quite um, certainty about what they would learn, first of all, and then and then they, they're encouraged to stay and build a local church and not come home. So, so, I mean, I agree with that. But I did a foolish thing. I joined the Air Force. And uh, it was not, it was four years of my life where instead of belonging to God wholeheartedly, I belonged to the government. In case any of you are considering it, don't. Get it out of your mind. So Hope Corps is 
Hope Corps is born as, as, first of all, a place, a plan to help you find the will of God in your life, to help you prepare yourself for being world-class leaders and for having a vision of the kingdom of God and being involved in the kingdom of God. Since it was started some 12 years ago or 13 years ago, we've had more than 1,000 people come through. We have 1,000 alumni, and it's... it's um, expanded so that married couples do it, we've had evangelists do it, we've had pastors, pastors' wives do it, uh, preachers' kids, we've had retirees do it, uh, people in their 70s. How old Sister Josephine? Is she close to 80? Um, we've had, uh, we've had a, a, tremendous, um, a tremendous broadening of it, and if you haven't taken Hope Corps, I sincerely urge you to sign up for Hope Corps. The next next classes and sign up will be in uh, August, and the gradu uh, graduation after after August. You can choose a place to do your ITW next summer, which would be uh, we're thinking about having one this year. Will be Los Angeles. We'll have two of them in Roatan, Honduras. We've had ITWs in the Philippines, in Norway, in Italy, in Manhattan, and. Um, Wherever you go for an ITW, it's a life-changing event. And so that's Hope Corps. Um, the doctor uh, is a PhD. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, a doctorate of, of uh, philosophy in religion and uh, theology and philosophy from the University of Birmingham in England. And my thesis was done on the history of oneness Pentecostalism in the Philippines. There's a, there's a tremendous uh, history uh, that had never been really looked at outside of narrow denominational views. And I discovered that we have uh, more than a million and a half, probably close to two million apostolics in the nation of the Philippines. So uh, 2% of the population is apostolic. There's a tremendous revival there. And I discovered many things, had countless interviews, over a thousand surveys that were returned. And I want to share maybe one of the things, exciting things that I discovered a little bit later on. Um, we'd love for you to join us. We have an upcoming trip in October to Turkey, to the seven churches of Asia. Uh, Bakersfield has always added power to our trips and, uh, and excitement, and, and we, love, we love having you travel with us. The, the Seven Churches trip is, uh, is a phenomenal trip. We, we visit all of the seven church sites, uh, Smyrna, Laodicea, Pergamos, uh, Ephesus is my favorite of all of that's where Paul spent three years. The Apostle Paul spent three years in Ephesus, and from Ephesus, evangelized all of Asia. And uh, to, to walk the same streets, literally, the same stone-paved road uh, made of marble, and uh, look at some of those buildings, and to go into the theater, which is one of the largest theaters in the ancient world, seats about 25,000 people, and you're, you're in the very same theater where all, the, all of the, the tradesmen of the city who were in the silver business and they were making idols of Diana, uh, 
great as Diana of the Ephesians, and they grabbed two of Paul's companions and drugged them into the theater, and they, sh they shouted, great as Diana of the Ephesians, for a couple of hours, and Paul wanted to go in there, but his friends said, no, don't go in there, you stay out here, until finally it was settled down. I mean, it's, it's right there. It's the same place. In fact, the theater is in such good repair that they actually use it for concerts today. 2,000 years old, but, but it's still in use today. So Ephesus is, is one of my favorites. And for those of you that have visited Israel with us, the thing about uh, Turkey is that the accommodations and the food is really much better. It, it's out of this world. In fact, we're staying at one hotel in, uh, in Istanbul that is the, one of the top hotels in the world, literally. Tour groups don't go there, but we go there. They have one room that goes for $30,000 a night. And, of course, if you get that room, you got to pay extra. We're not covering that. <laughs> but, but we would love for you to go along. And um, if you're interested, uh, you can talk to your pastor or you can look at the, the website is uh, BibleLand.ca. BibleLand or BibleLands? BibleLand.ca. So I think I've covered all the preliminaries. Thank you for that opportunity. I want to, we've had a, a beautiful move. In fact, I wouldn't have been surprised and I wouldn't have been disappointed if Pastor would have said, uh, you're dismissed. Because there has been a tremendous move already. And I hope you've, you've tagged in. So if you didn't shout, if you were saving it for the preaching, um, you missed your chance. The thing about worship is you gotta you gotta jump in when the water is moving. You don't you don't wait. You don't say, "Okay, God, if they'll sing that chorus one more time, I'll I'll dance." Don't do don't do any of that stuff. You just start worshiping God as soon as the music starts playing, and and as soon as you get in here, make up your mind you're going to take advantage of every opportunity, because I what I feel in my heart tonight is is not a shouting message. I think the shouting's over for tonight. Uh, maybe I'll do like Brother Terry do, would do, and he'd say, uh, are you finished? And he'd make sure you were finished shouting before he would go on. But uh, rather unusually, I'm going to use a PowerPoint presentation, and I'm, I'm going to do some teaching tonight that is, that is uh, one of the lessons that I teach at an ITW, and it's about discovering and doing the will of God. I, I feel strongly, I mean, in a building this size, it is no, I, I could even guess and probably hit it with as many people that are here, but I do feel strongly that somebody has been praying for the will of God and praying that God would show them his will. God, what is your will? What is your will? And so I, I hope I can help you. My, my, um, my desire is to make a difference. Um, I think I got enough of Brother I.H. Terry in me that, that I, don't, I don't try to make people shout, but I do want to make a difference. And so if you'll listen, uh, I'll try to go quick. I have 19 slides here, and I'll try to go through them. There's a message, and I can probably talk as fast as you can listen. 
but I just want to make sure you get this. This is Doors and Rooms, Discovering and Doing the Will of God. I, I, this morning I talked to you about, I, I mentioned 2 Peter 3, 9, which says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So this is the general will of God. I told you this morning, God is not willing for you to be lost. God, it is the will of God for you to be saved. So for you to be saved is not contrary to the will of God. That should not be a struggle. If it's a struggle, it's not a struggle against God. He's going to help you. If it's a struggle... To be saved, it's a struggle against the flesh and a struggle against the world and a struggle against the devil. But it's the will of God when you say, oh, God, you know, it's like, like me sticking my thumb up and saying, God, if it's your will for me to run away from home, let this truck stop and pick me up. Well, duh, duh. You don't have to pray, God, do you want me to go to church tonight? That's the will of God. You don't have to pray. Oh, God, do you want me to pay my tithes? That's the will of God. Lord, do you want me to read my Bible? Of course. I mean, that's the general will of God. That's the will of God for everybody. You don't need a revelation. You don't need a direct voice from heaven. You don't need to see a finger on the wall. Read your Bible. Go to church. And sometimes we don't feel like going to church, and we attribute our feelings to the will of God. Oh, I just don't feel it. Well, it's not God. God's not the problem. It's your feeler. So fix your feeler, and you make up your mind you're going to do it whether you feel like it or not. I go to church whether I feel like it or not because it's the will of God. I worship whether I feel like it or not because it's the will of God. That's just the will of God, folks. And then I believe that everyone in the world who's ever lived has a witness. Psalm 19.1 said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. So in the far-off place where, where an apostolic church has never been, there is a witness in the heavens. The stars, the firmament, testifies of a creator. There is a God. <clears throat> in Ecclesiastes 3.11, said, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world <coughs> in their heart. That, the, the word world there actually is the word eternity. God has set eternity in the heart of people. People know that that um, uh, people know that there's something more. People know, they, they instinctively know there's something after life. They instinctively know that it doesn't end with death. There's something in the heart of people who, who, who don't even know of God who feel there's something after death. And then Psalm 14.1 said, The fool hath said in his heart there is no God. So with, with the witness of creation, the order of the galaxy and the universe, <clears throat> with, uh, 
with the eternity that God has placed in everybody's heart, it's only a fool who would say there's no God who can look at the flowers and the trees and, and the world and, and the fact that, that, that um, if, we were just, if we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were just a little bit further away, we'd freeze. I mean, this is not an accident. It is, it is the hand of a designer. It takes a fool to say there's no God. You have to ignore the firmament to say there's no God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Um, the implication is if you're not hungry and thirsty after righteousness, you will not be filled. So if you're hungry... I believe God's going to make a way. If you desire, if you have a heart after God, God will make a way for you to get a witness. If, if you don't, of course, then you cannot expect. If you're not hungry, if, that's, if, if you have no hunger for that, if you've never prayed, God, if you're real, show me, then there's no need for God to show you anything. Because there's no hunger. I believe that we have a responsibility to make the word of God and our testimony appetizing. Now, this is your responsibility and ours as preachers. Um, an appetizer is, is like a first impression. When people first step into this church, it's not the preaching that they hear first. It's not, it's not the pastor that's the first person they come across. It's, it's the parking lot. I mean, is it orderly? Is it clean? Or is there trash floating around everywhere? They walk in the door. It's not the pastor that's going to shake their hand first. Somebody else is standing at the door. Somebody else is in the vestibule. It might be you. It might be your job that night or, or that service, or it might be your coming and going, and you just happen to meet them. And so it's your responsibility to make sure the appetizer is presented properly. It's not your responsibility to look them up and down to make sure they're dressed right. It's not your responsibility to check the length of their hair. It's not your responsibility to ask where have you been or you smell like cigarette smoke. It's your responsibility to ignore that. And give them a smile, look them in the eye, and say, we're glad you're here. Welcome. We are glad you're here. That's your responsibility. That's the appetizer. If somebody is hungry for God, if they've got a thirst and a hunger for the things of righteousness, and God leads them here, you could put them off. You could make them feel like, well, I, I, I thought I was hungry, but I guess there's nothing here for me. It's your responsibility to invite them in, to, to, to seat them at the table, to, to give them the menu, to, to welcome them, to say, we're so glad you're here, and let them feel your love. Brother Verbal Bean said, I like T-bone steak, but I don't like it slapped in my face. What we have is truth. It's precious. It's, it's powerful. It's wonderful. 
But we must be careful how we present it. And I am confident, I am absolutely confident that your pastor presents it properly, in the right way. And, and you're blessed. Uh, I, I, you know, he was one of my favorite teachers. When I, when I was doing my, my, my uh, graduate course, he was one of my instructors for the book of John. He was awesome. I know what he's like. I know what he can do. I know what you guys feed on. You're blessed. It's, he makes it appetizing. He presents it with knowledge. It's not just a bunch of screaming and hollering. He, he's got something to say. Joel Booker was, was uh, teaching at No Limits a, a couple of years ago, and he, he happened to talk about prayer, and he did it in such a way that made me want to pray. Now, I've heard guys talk about prayer that didn't make me want to pray. In fact, I heard a man say one time, if you don't pray an hour a day, you're going to hell. He said, and I don't mean 59 minutes. I mean an hour. That didn't make me want to pray. It made me want to get up and walk out. That's what it made me want to do. Now, we've got something beautiful. The Bible refers to the beauty of holiness. Holiness is beautiful. But if you're not careful, when you witness or testify, you might present it in a way that make people want to walk out. Don't do that. Present the gospel, holiness, the new birth, everything we believe. Present it positively. Present it in an appetizing manner. Make them want it. Does God require revelation? I, and I'm talking about the will of God, and I'm getting there, and I'm getting there quick because it sounds to me, looks to me like you're listening quick. You're getting it, right? All right, eat it, saints. Sometimes, sometimes we, I think it's a, a mistaken impression that, that God requires revelation, that we, if we don't have a revelation, we're going to be lost. Did Israel share the revelation that Moses had? Moses had a, an experience at the burning bush. Moses said, what is your name? Moses was, was put in a cleft of the rock, and the hand of God covered him while God passed by. Moses saw things none of the others saw. They weren't required to see that. They weren't required to have the revelation. God gave Moses the revelation, and the people were required to abide by it. They were required to believe Moses and to follow him. Revelation and conviction and understanding is desirable. So as, as, as ministers, we try to present the Word of God in a way that makes it understandable. I want you to understand what I'm saying. I'm not up here just saying, do this or be lost. I want you to understand. In fact, I prayed for the spirit of revelation to be in this place tonight. I want you to have revelation. But, but I think... Revelation follows obedience. I don't, I don't think we get revelation first and then obedience follows. I think we get obedience. We say, okay, yes, Lord, I may not understand everything, but I'm willing to give it a try. And God will bless your faith. 
God will bless your obedience and he may give you a revelation. But if he never gives me a revelation, I must be obedient. Obedience is essential. Obedience opens doors. So if you desire revelation, practice obedience. If you do not walk through the door that God opens for you, now I'm, I'm, I'm really getting to the, the part where we're finding the will of God, all right? You've been praying, God, show me your will. Your word says you would set before me an open door that no man can shut. So God, set before me an open door. Show me the door. What should I do? You're, 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 in, a, you're in a situation here. There's no need to bother your pastor or other leadership in the church with, with decisions that are not life-changing. You don't have to say, huh, you don't have to pray, God, should I get Libby's peaches or Del Monte? Get whatever you want. God really doesn't care if you eat Libby's or Del Monte. Or black beans or pinto beans. Doesn't matter. I mean, I prefer pinto. Refried. But it's not something that you have to pray the will of God. Some people, some people become immobilized because they are so indecisive because they want to spiritualize everything, and everything cannot be spiritualized. God does not want you to be a freak. You don't spiritualize everything. I, I, uh, I used to have a couple in the church, and they got extremely spiritual. They got more spiritual than me, more spiritual than everybody in the church. They, they, were, they were fasting um, uh, an enormous amount of time. And uh, they got unbalanced. And uh, they, they went to visit somebody. And there was a thunderstorm. And the lights went out. And they said, ah, that's, that's God. It's not the will of God for us to go to church tonight. That's just dumb. That's not God. That's dumb. Finally, they, they came to me and said they were quitting church because we weren't spiritual enough. I said, well, what do you mean? What do you mean we're not spiritual enough? They said, well, pastor, have you ever prayed for a corpse? Well, I didn't remember it at that time. I had, but I didn't remember it. And, and it was when Brother Melvin Long died at camp meeting, and everybody prayed for him, and, and God raised him back up. His vital signs were gone. And, but I didn't remember that. I just said, no, I, I haven't prayed for a corpse. So because of that, um, they left. They were, they were so spiritual. The last time I talked to that woman, Talked to her on the phone. She said, these were her words, I really don't think there's anybody else in the world other than me and my husband who are saved. She said, I don't know anybody else in the world other than us who are saved. It would have been better they never fasted. I mean, it, it would have been better to be carnal than to be that spiritual. That, because that's, that's really not Holy Ghost spiritual. That's ridiculous. So don't try to spiritualize everything. And don't, and don't 
have a nervous breakdown trying to figure out the difference between, between should I get, you know, what brand should I get or, or how much of this should I, don't, don't, don't worry about that. If you have life-changing issues, if you're facing, there's two doors in front of you. If you're talking about maybe a career change or you're talking about, you're even thinking about possibly relocating, you better counsel with your pastor. You, the, these are important things. These are events that are life-changing. And I just want to let you know, you're in a great church. And wherever you go, you don't always find churches like this. I just want you to know, I've been there. I've been all over. You don't just find churches like this everywhere and you decide to move across country because maybe the cost of living is cheaper. You, you can't, some things don't have a monetary value. You can't buy this. You can't buy this. And when you've got a place like this where, where you and your children and your grandchildren could be safe and blessed and favored by God, I don't care if it is cheaper somewhere else. I don't care how much you can get for your, for your house. I don't care what kind of a raise they offer you. That's not the most important things in life. I thank God for this church, this, not only the church, this church, this church that, that, that raised me, this church that kept me safe, this church that nurtured me, this church that fed me, this church that taught me, this church. I thank God for this church that embraced my alcoholic dad. I thank God for this church that embraced my single mom. I thank God for this church that provided a home and a place where I could come and, and, and there was no, no hint of false doctrine. It was solid. It was secure. It was sound. Brothers and sisters, some things are worth paying for. Man, I mean, think about your brothers and sisters in the Ukraine right now and some of them not wanting to leave when they had the opportunity. Why? Because it's home. Because it's, God called them there. Because you can't just get up and run when, when things get tough. I'm going to tell you, things might get a lot tougher than we've seen yet. But nonetheless, God's given us a church. This is the door God has, that God has opened. This is the room God has placed us in right now. However, as we go through life and we seek the will of God, the will of God is like a door. And, and if God has, has opened a door for you and you have not gone through it, but you've gone another direction, or maybe you've kicked down a door into another room, and you wonder, why doesn't this work out? Or why isn't this happening? Or now you're sincerely seeking the face of God saying, God, show me your will. Show me your will. It may be that God's standing back saying, I did. I showed you my will. I opened a door. And God might say, don't ask me again until you've already done what I've told you to do. You go back and go through the door I opened and I've seen people stuck in the same rut for 20 years because God told them to do something 20 years ago and they didn't do it. 
and they just keep trying to force their way through life and do things their own way and nothing works out and they're frustrated and they're angry and they're, they're wondering what's going on because 20 years ago you were stubborn and you didn't want to hear from God. God told you something. That's not what you wanted. You wanted something else. And so you made something else. You made it the will of God. Your prayer was not, God, let your will be done. Your prayer was, God, let this be your will. And there's a difference. Don't pray that. Pray for the will of God to be done in your life. And pray that your own will would be submissive to God's will in your life. So if you don't walk through the door God opens, he may not open another one. And, and, and the reason this is important is because the door God opens leads to the specific will of God. Okay, now there's a difference between the general will of God that we discussed earlier and the specific will of God. Lord, who should I marry? Do you want me to take this job? Should I start this business? Should I accept this contract? These are specific questions. God, what do you want me to do with my life? Are you calling me into the ministry? Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy. He that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth. He that shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. The church in Philadelphia was one of the seven churches against which God had nothing evil to say. Most of the churches, he said, however, or I have somewhat against thee. But the church of Philadelphia, God didn't say anything against. But they were not, you wouldn't look at them from this description as to a super Christian. It's, it's you have a little strength. Right? Now, we wouldn't want a testimony like that. We want to say, Oh, you've got a lot of strength. You're a, you're a powerful person. But that's, these people had a little strength. Jesus said, you've got a little strength. You've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Now, do you have a little strength? Maybe you don't consider yourself to be um, a powerful Christian, but do you have a little you're here tonight. I assume you have a little strength. You're here. And you've probably been here. So you keep coming back even though the devil tries to trip you up. So I think, I think we could agree we have a little strength. At least we have a little strength. And we haven't. Thrown away the book. We've kept the word, right? You still believe this? We've kept the word. And, and you haven't denied the name. We were singing about the name of Jesus. We're talking about the name. You believe the name of Jesus, right? You believe, you believe that that's a name higher than any name? 
that neither is there salvation in any other than the name of Jesus? You believe that you believe that the name of Jesus is 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 higher than any other name? So you haven't denied the name. So you qualify for the blessing of the Church of Philadelphia. He said, I I will set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. This is the will of God. He will, he will do this. So right now, tonight, where are you at in your life? Are you frustrated? Are you bored? Are you questioning? Is there a lack of progress in your life? Do you feel like you're growing? Is, is, is the door closed? You, you thought this was the will of God, but the door closed. Why? If there's a door closed, you need to ask the one who closes and opens doors, why is this closed? Maybe it's not the right place or maybe it's not the right time. If your progress has been stymied, there is a reason. Is there something you've not obeyed? Did God deal with you? Did the, did the preacher preach something and you knew? I know, that's right. And maybe you said, sometime I'm going to do that. Or maybe you said, I know that's right, but oh, that's just too hard for me. Is there something you haven't obeyed? Is there something you've left undone? Is there something you put off until later and not never got around to doing it? See, one of our problems as apostolics, we've got the best preaching. We shout. We know good preaching. We love it. We shout. We, we respond. We come to an altar. And if we're really, really moved, we'll come to an altar and we will and we'll cry. And pray and say, thank you, Lord, for speaking. And we'll get up and go eat and not change. The church in Ethiopia is a, is a strong church, and it's a, it's a large church. Thousands and thousands and thousands. In fact, the last prime minister of Ethiopia was, a, uh, was an apostolic, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. And so, but... An Ethiopian preacher told me, he said, I don't understand uh, you Americans, he said. You go to church and preach, 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 and go home. And you go to church and preach, 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 and go home. And you go to church and preach, 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 and go home. He said, in Ethiopia, we preach and make a covenant. And we preach and make a covenant. And we preach and make a covenant. And that's what we need to be doing the, Brother Booker says the most important part of every service is not the preaching. That's the second most important part. But the most important part of the service is the response to the preaching. And the response should not merely be, I'll come to the front. That's, that's good, and that's a response. The response should not merely be, preach it, preacher. Amen, pastor. That's good preaching. That, that, that's all right. But that's not the best and lasting response. The response is, and here's where you all should maybe have a notebook with you tonight. The, the response is, did God speak to me? What did God say? 
and what am I going to do about what God said? I would, I would challenge you, and I, I'll, go out, I'll go out on a limb and say, I think it would be more effective for you to never come to the altar there's a time and a place for that. But I think it would be more effective in the long run for you never to come to an altar, but for you to sit in your pew and write a note in a notebook to say, this is what I heard from God, and this is what I'm going to do. Because too often we come to the altar, and it's, we feel good, and we're sincere, and we may cry and talk in tongues and shout, and then we get up and go out and have a good time, but we don't do anything differently. And if we want God to open doors, it means we need to do something. So, go back and obey what God told you to do. Go back to that place. Go back to that message. Go back to that altar service. Go back to that prayer meeting where God spoke to you and you said, yes, Lord. And then do it. Time is meaningless to God. If you're not going to obey, God's not going to be in a rush. God dwells in eternity. You're in a hurry. If, if, you're, if you're in your early teens, you're in a hurry to get your driver's license. You're in a hurry to graduate and get out of school. You're in a hurry to get a job. You might be in a hurry to get a boyfriend, a hurry getting a girlfriend. Don't hurry. Don't hurry. You might be in a hurry to get married. Take your time. Take your time. But, but God's not in a hurry. And so if you're not doing the will of God, don't expect God to hurry up and help you, help you in your life and help you open doors if you have failed to be obedient. He'll wait. He'll wait either until you are obedient or until he finds somebody else to do that job. If you're obedient, God will set before you an open door. God is not obligated to lead you into step two until you have grasped step one. Obedience is a prerequisite for further revelation. I want to talk about one of uh, uh, the things I discovered in my uh, Filipino research. It's about George Torres. George Torres was, um, was a Catholic at the time that this story took place, he was, uh, he was a grown man, he was married, he had a family, children of his own. He was a typical Catholic, good Catholic. He smoked, he drank, he gambled, he went to movies, and he didn't do anything the priest didn't do. And uh, uh, George didn't have a Bible. But they, the Catholics in, in um, Bacolid, Philippines on Negros Island decided they were going to have a three-day couples retreat, and this was for the Samaritans. This was a, this was like uh, they had something called the Cursillos in the Catholic Church, where people, uh, lay people, could go to a three-day retreat and draw closer to God and study and learn more about God and learn more about leadership in the Catholic Church. And the Samaritans was a very similar thing in the Philippines. And so uh, George, they call him Jorge Torres, went to, went to this couple's retreat. And during the retreat, the priest held up a Bible. And the priest said, 
Read your Bible because it's the Word of God. Well, this was the first time George Torres ever heard this in his life. And so it made an impact on him. He thought, wow, my priest said read the Bible, so I, I need to read the Bible. So he went, when he got home, he borrowed a neighbor's Bible. He didn't have one. There was no Bible in the house. He borrowed a Bible from the neighbor. And he began reading. He, start, he didn't know how to read it, so he just started like you would read any other book in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. So he read Genesis, and then he got into Exodus. And when he got into Exodus, he read where you shouldn't have any graven images. Well, he stopped. He put his Bible down, and he went to the family altar where they had their statues and their images, and he took them and threw them into uh, the cesspit, threw them in, into, the, into the garbage. When he did this, this man... George Torres, who had never heard a Pentecostal preacher, never heard an apostolic preacher, who had only read the Bible into the book of Exodus, when he, when he read that and obeyed the simple thing that he read, don't have any graven images, at that moment, instantly, he was healed of emphysema. He'd been smoking from the age of nine. He had terrible emphysema. Instantly, he was healed of emphysema. He was delivered from cigarettes, never smoked another cigarette again, never drank alcohol again, never went to another movie again. Nobody ever told him these things. The priest didn't tell him these things. The priest said, read your Bible. He obeyed that. He read his Bible. In reading, he read, don't have any graven images. When he took the graven images and threw them away, he was instantly healed. He loved, he loved to gamble. He would go to the cock fights, instant, but he never went to another cock fight. He never gambled anymore, never drank, never smoked, never went to movies again. God delivered him. Jesus said in John 14, 2, in my father's house are many Mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. The word mansions there literally means rooms. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go and prepare a place for you. In fact, the word mansions is still used in, in Great Britain. If you're driving through London, you'll see, you'll see an apartment complex, and it will say something like Churchill Mansions or Windsor Mansions. Because those, that means rooms. They have rooms there. And so Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. The will of God is like going through our Father's house. We're, we're born into the house. We're born into the family. That gets us into the house. We're, we're saved. We've been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with His Spirit, born of the water and born of the Spirit, without which Jesus said you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so that gets us into the house. That gets us in the kingdom. But then there are many rooms. Do you want to stay in the vestibule? Or do you want to explore? Do you want to see what God has prepared for you? 
I want to see everything that God has prepared. I want to go everywhere that God has prepared for me. I want to experience everything that God has prepared for me. I mean, thank God for salvation. But he didn't save us to just sit on a pew and never grow and never minister and never do anything. He saved us to use us. You were saved. You were blessed to be a blessing. You were saved to be used. You were given power to be a witness. And so the will of God is like constant transition. We go from room to room, from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from strength to strength in this place that God has prepared for us. Peter said uh, his last words in his last epistle was, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you want that? That's the will of God. How does that happen? Every room in this house is unique. Every room is different. And right now, every one of you are in a room. You, you may belong in that room, or you might be in a room where you don't belong. If, if God opened the door and set before you an open door and you went in and that's how you got where you're at, then you're in the will of God. If you kicked down a door into a room that, that God didn't open, then you're not in the will of God. You're out of the will of God. You may be saved. You may be in the house, but you're not in the right room. And so you're frustrated and you, you want something else and you're, you're wondering why, why is this happening and what's going on in my life. Well, it's because you kicked down a door. You didn't walk through the door that God opened. So parts of your rooms may be shared with others, especially in marriage. Thank God when, you know, you need to find somebody. If you're not married yet, you need to find somebody you're compatible with and that you can do the will of God together, that you, that you both have a desire to please God. It's a terrible thing to be, to be uh, unequally yoked together. It's a terrible thing when one person wants to do the will of God and the other person only wants to live a selfish life. That, that just a, that's a miserable situation. That's why you need to really take your time and make sure you're in the will of God. And you, and you need to ask questions, and you need to have serious discussions before you make commitments. Serious discussions. Serious discussions. You know, like what if God calls us or, or, or what are we going to do and, and what's your desire? You know, I, I know, I know young people that they want to be married right now, but they got, they're, they're living in a small circle. They don't want anybody else in their circle. They don't want to walk across the church and, and greet, greet a visitor. They're in their own little circle. And if somebody marries them who feels called to the ministry, they're going to be miserable. That can make or break your ministry. So why are you in the room you're in right now? You came in through a door. Did God open the door or did you open it? I'm getting to the meat, but I'm almost finished also. So listen quick. Somebody wants to know, what's the will of God? What's the will of God? God, what do you want me to do? This is the will of God. The task at hand is the will of God. 
the room you're in, if God opened that door, if God didn't open that door, get out of there and go back to where God put you. Go back to where the room where God put you before you kicked the door and you got frustrated and you got angry and, and you got tired and you were impatient and you said, I, I, I don't know what you're doing, God, and I don't like where, where I'm at right now, so I'm getting out of here. Well, you're just, you're just making it worse. Get back to where you're submitted to God and where you say, okay, God, I, I, I give up. I'm not going to seek my own room. I'm not going to seek my own will. I'm not going to seek my own way. Now I just, God, I've made a mess. I'm sorry. Take me back. Lord, help me to undo any, any mess that I've made and help me to find your will. So what, do you, what is there to do in your room right now? That's the will of God. Whatever needs to be done, that's the will of God. Don't ignore what needs to be done and say, well, uh, no, I don't want that. I want to do something else. You know, some people don't want to be an usher, but they want a microphone. Well, you know, if, they, if that's the will of God, let God open that door. But don't, don't refuse to be an usher. When it's, when it's that time, when it's, it's your room to serve or, or, or be on the parking lot or, or to be in the kitchen or whatever. We, we're a body. We need, we need members, one of another. We are all, there's, there's a work for everybody to do. I believe in the church and in this church there is a ministry, which means service, for every individual. Everybody is a minister which means servant. There's a job for you to do, and you'll be happy if you find it and do it. If you try to project yourself over that, and you don't, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. You're not going to be happy. You're, there's going to be politics. There's going to be pettiness. There's going to be jealousies. There's going to be envies. Well, I could sing that song as well as she could. They ought to let me up there. Well, that's spirits why you're not up there. Pray they don't let you up here. You'll mess up the service. Lack of repentance and compliance to God's word will keep the door closed. Failure to do what God wants you to do in each room will slow your progress. Okay? George Torres went on. He kept reading his Bible. When he got into the book of Acts, he read where you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And he looked around, and there was nobody he knew that would baptize him in Jesus' name. So he, he talked to a friend and said, look, this is what the Bible says. But I don't know anybody who'll do this. Will you baptize me in Jesus' name? So they went to the ocean. They, Bacolid is right there on the ocean. And they went out into the water, and, and his friend baptized George Torres, and George Torres then turned around and baptized his friend. Later on, when he finally, finally found an apostolic preacher, he wanted to be baptized all over again because he felt like, uh, I need to be baptized by a preacher. And, and so, but, but he would take his Bible out in front, in the square in front of his Catholic church, and he would preach. And he, he went back to his family and said, the, the Word of God is like a boomerang because I'm preaching be baptized in Jesus' name, and I wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. It would, it would come back to me and hit me. 
And, and, and then he, he was preaching about you got to have the Holy Ghost because that's what the Bible said when he got into the book of Acts. Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he went home and said, but I haven't, I haven't done it. Finally, God led him to an apostolic preacher. He got rebaptized in Jesus' name. He got the Holy Ghost. His family got the Holy Ghost. His two sons are preachers. His one son is Brother Demetrio Torres that you've met, who has built, to me, the, the most beautiful church in the Philippines. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a contractor and a builder, and he built the church, and other people have helped him, but but it's, it's the most beautiful church building I've seen in the Philippines in an apostolic church. It's awesome. And this was the son of this Catholic man who when the priest said, read your Bible, it's the word of God, he said, okay. And God blessed him because he obeyed his priest. He didn't have anybody else to obey. He didn't know anything else to do. But he had a heart after God. So when the priest said, read your Bible, he did it. And when he read the Bible, he obeyed it. And when he obeyed it, God blessed him and healed him and led him all the way step by step to complete and full salvation. He was born of the water and born of the Spirit. And now his children and his grandchildren are in the church and doing the work of God. It's awesome. That's the way God opens doors, one door at a time. Do this. Read your Bible. Then I'll open another door. Do this. Get rid of those images. Then I'll open another door. And so God wants to lead you through his house, his kingdom, from room to room, from door to door. And and in order to do the will of God, There has to be this understanding that wherever I'm at right now, if I'm not in the will of God, I need to get there. If I'm in the will of God, and I would say most of you are in the will of God. Most of you are in, where you're at right now, I mean, you're certainly in the will of God in this church. And probably in your life, most of you are in the will of God, unless you just stubbornly resisted God's word and kicked open your own doors, and and then that's the cause of your problems. But what do I do, God? I'm, I'm, I'm searching you. I'm praying. Show me your will. Here's how you're going to find it. Look around. Where are you at? Take stock. I'm in this room. Okay? How long have you been in this room? How long have you been in this position? Um, what's going on in your life? Well, I've been here a month or I've been here a year. What are you doing? How do you feel? Uh, I'm bored. I'm ready for the next door to open. I don't know what God wants me to do. What God wants you to do if you're in this room is something in this room. What needs, look around. Is there anything in this room that needs to be done? Oh, by the way, you, you've done a great job in this room. You've done a great job in this church. This looks amazing. Great, great job. I know it's a lot of work and, and everything, but man, does it ever look nice. Um, top shelf. Looks great. And so whatever room you're in right now, take stock of your room. Where are you at? What's in your room? 
Is the floor clean? Are the windows clean? Is the furniture arranged? Is anything broken? What's, the, what's your will, God? Clean your room. Oh, can I hear any mama say amen? Clean your room. Repair the furniture. Fix it up. Make it attractive. But I don't like this room. When I, uh, when I was about 17, I got a job at Floyd's. And I was working at Floyd's, and because I was the new guy and the youngest guy on the team, if there was any dirty work to be done, you know, somebody needs to clean the bathroom, that was my job. I got to clean the bathroom. There were weeds outside that needed to be chopped. That was my job. I got to go outside and chop weeds. And we were on commission. We got hourly, hourly plus commission. And I like to be inside and selling stuff, you know. But, but there were other guys that had been there for years that, that, that they were doing that. And somebody needed to go out and do the dirty work. That was my job. And I complained about it to my dad. He said, son, when you get a job that you don't like, do it, do it well, do it so you don't have to do it again, and do it fast and get it over with. Then you can get back inside in the air conditioning, and, and then you can get back inside and, and, and sell coolers and sleeping bags and whatever else. And it's the same way in your room. If, if you've got a job you don't like, get it done. Get it over with. Get it out of the way. Don't stand around griping about, oh, I don't like this. I don't, I don't like to do this job. I don't, I, somebody else ought to be cleaning the toilets around here. Well, somebody's got to clean the toilets. If I walked into a church that didn't have clean toilets, I don't think I'd go back. So who's going to do that? Oh, bless God, not me. Well, I'll do it. I, I still do it in our church. If I see it needs to be done and somebody hasn't done their job, I'll do it because I want it clean. I want it to look right. If a, if a first-time visitor comes in and it's their first impression, I want, it, I want them to see the mirrors clean, the sink is clean, the floor is clean. I'll, I'll pick up the paper. I'll pick up those pieces of paper towel and, and I'll clean the toilet. I, that, I'm not above that. And, and I'm not impressed when when young people stand around and, and say, oh, I'm not going to do that. I, I was, um, we were just, we'd just been married not too long, and we went to a youth camp, Texas District, and uh, we were um, uh, counselors that week for youth camp. And something went wrong with the, with the uh, sewer system. It was a mess. It was a, it was a bad, it was stinky, dirty mess. And... So I and a couple of more guys, one of them was an elderly pastor in the district. We had to literally, we had to literally wade into the mess and, and work and clean it up and fix the problem. Somebody had to do it, had to be done. Well, I had, I had to uh, go into the, the district office on the campgrounds. I had to go into the office and the district youth president, whose name was very well known, and he was in demand as a conference and camp meeting and youth camp speaker. He was standing in there, and, you know, I respected him. I, I thought he was great. I, you know, he was a hero. But when I, when I had to go in for something 
I overheard him laughing about what we were doing out there and about what that elderly pastor was doing out there. And he made the statement, you're not going to catch me out there. You won't find me out there doing that. When I overheard that, my respect for him went through the floor. You probably wouldn't be surprised if I told you that it was just a few months after that he fell into adultery and lost his ministry and lost his name and lost his character. No, I'm not going to be found in that mess. But there's something much dirtier you'll catch me in. Uh, 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 no, I don't have time for somebody who doesn't have time to clean a toilet. Sorry. You, you say you want to preach? You say God's called you to preach and you don't have time to use a vacuum cleaner? You don't have time to shine the glass? You don't have time to work? Uh-uh. I don't have time for you. You need to go back to room one. You need to go back. You, you need to go feel what a toilet brush, you know. You need to learn how to, how to twirl that just right. You need to learn how to do a vacuum cleaner and get the corners and get the edges and and, and make sure the place where you enjoy coming and the, the platform you'd like to preach on is clean. When we're going to serve God and be in the will of God, we've got to be willing to clean the room God puts us in, fix it up. What's the will of God? The will of God is the task at hand. Do what you can do where you're at. Don't worry about, oh, but I want to be on the platform, or, or I, want to, I want God to call me over there, or I want a pulpit. Or... Don't worry about that. If that's the will of God, that door will open at the right time. You know what my first job in this church was? When I was about 10 years old, my job was to light the furnaces. Vernon Wilson was the Sunday school superintendent. He said, would you come down Johnny, I just lived catacorner from the church. He said, would you, would you come light the, the furnaces, those wall heaters on Sunday morning so the rooms would be warmed up when the, when the teachers get there? I said, sure. That was my first job. I wonder where I'd been if I'd have said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. No, you know. Sister Carol lets me preach in children's church. Let me preach. Duh. God has a plan, and God's plan for you involves, he's going to open doors, and he's going to let you experience things. I would never have believed. I, I, it, what God has allowed me to do, I could never have even imagined it. My, my um, you know, Oakey Bakersfield mind could not comprehend the places that I've that I've traveled and the things that I've witnessed. And in, in one service in Ethiopia, seen 70,000 people filled with the Holy Ghost. I, 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 I would just, I, how can I explain it? How did it happen? One room at a time, one door at a time. Do what you can in the room where you're at. Jesus said, occupy till I come. The word occupy comes from the Greek word pragma, pragma, whatever. It's the same root where we get pragmatic, occupy. It doesn't mean like sit down. It's not like occupy Wall Street. It's occupy as in occupation, work, uh, be busy, 
do business, occupy till I come. And so it, it means to be involved in a meaningful activity. This is the will of God, to be doing something, work and business. Nothing fancy, just plain, reasonable, intelligent, thoughtful business or work. Where are you at right now? And I'm almost finished. Where are you at in your life? Where are you in your relationships? What are you doing in your church right now? What's your job here? If you don't have a job here, get one. God has a, a job for you. Are you bored? Are you frustrated? Are you ready to move on to the next room? So the secret to opening the door, this is the last slide, is to keep occupied with meaningful activity. Stay busy. My mama used to tell me, uh, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Stay busy. There's work for you to do. Find somebody and teach them a Bible study. Oh, I, I want to preach. Go teach a Bible study. Win a soul. Be a friend to somebody who needs a friend. Draw a circle and let somebody in. Stay busy. Look around. What needs to be done in this room? I, 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 uh, David Holmes married Jolene Dehog, and when, when they, we had a meeting, a leadership meeting down in our, one of our, uh, our small halls, and I watched as she stepped through the door. She came, they came to our church, and they were just married. And I watched her step through the door, and she did like this. She walked through the door, and she did like this. She scanned the room. She saw a piece of trash laying on the floor. She went over and picked it up, grabbed it, and put it in the garbage. And I said, at that moment, I said, I'm going to hire her. And I did. And she became our church secretary, uh, working in the office, and, uh, and she's, she's working there right now because you don't have to tell her. She sees what needs to be done. She's willing to do it. It doesn't matter whose job it is. If, it needs, if it's there, it's gonna, she's going to take care of it. That's what you need. You need that. This is my church. And I'm not going to walk past a piece of paper on the floor because it's not my job. I'm not going to walk out of a dirty bathroom because, well, that's somebody's not doing their job this week. Well, duh. Is it your church? Fix it. Do it. So look around and say what needs to be done in this room. Wherever you're at right now, instead of complaining about where you're at, you know, the, if you're in a place you don't like to be, you want to get out of there quicker? Look around and see what needs to be done and do it. Do it good. When you finish what needs to be done in that room, two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to forget that door because suddenly you've got distracted. You're, you're busy. You're doing the task at hand. Number two, you're going you're gonna to look around for something else to do and it's all done. Then you're going to glance up and that door is going to be open to the next room. That prayer you've been praying, God, show me your will. Lord, what do you want me to do? 
I'm, I'm so bored here. I'm so frustrated. God, what, what's, it, what's next in my life? The door's going to be open when you stop complaining about it and you just do what needs to be done. God's going to open that door. So stop fretting and start working. The will of God, it's not a mystery. The will of God is the task at hand. That's the will of God. Do what you can do. Do whatever's in your reach. Do whatever's in your way. Do whatever's in your room. And you're going to find that when that's done, there's going to be a door. There's going to be another adventure. There's going to be a new experience. There's going to be a higher level. And you, you go through life this way, and there's no, I have no regrets. God's been so good to me. I, I am so blessed. I am just so grateful. And if you'd have asked me to sit down, I left, I left Bakersfield when I was 18 years old. If you would have asked me to sit down at 18 years old and say, write a wrist list, a, a wish list, Johnny. What do you want to do? What, what would be your goals? What's a bucket list? Where would you like to go? What would you like to see? What would you like to be involved in? It would have been so much smaller than what I've experienced. I'm telling you, God knows how to do it if you'll trust Him and if you'll just do what He gives you to do and do it with all of your might and do it with a good attitude. There's no telling what He'll do with you. But I promise you, you'll be happy and you'll be blessed. Shall we stand? Now, if you join Hope Corps and come to ITW, you'll hear me teach that again. And then I'll teach part two. God's a good God. His ways are so good. His ways are beyond our comprehension. He will use you. Young man, he'll use you. Young lady, he'll use you. And you don't get too old. Moses' ministry didn't start till he was 80. Where you at, Brother Eddie? His ministry didn't start till he was 80 years old. Can you believe that? So here I am now. I'm a retired pastor. I'm not looking for a beach anywhere. I'm not looking for palm trees or a hammock. I'm just looking for the next room, the next adventure. I've, I've got books I'm writing. I've got places I want to go. I've, we're fixing to go to Italy and, and spend time with our church there. And, and, uh, and we're leading tours to the Holy Land and to the seven churches of Asia. I'm involved in Hope Corps. And I'm happy. I'm enjoying life one room at a time. I'm happy where God has placed me. And when you're in the will of God, you're going to be happy where God has placed you. Don't fret. Don't complain. God has a plan. Be patient. Do the task at hand. Do everything you can do where you're at right now. Keep a right attitude, and God's going to open doors for the rest of your life until Jesus comes. Let's love the Lord together. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you for your word. 
thank you for your will. I trust you. I believe you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.